0: Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environment. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines.
1: I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm here with our Advocacy Director, Pete Dittesheim, and I'm also very excited to welcome our Sustainable Maine Director, Sarah Nichols, to the pod. Welcome, Sarah.
2: Thank you, Colin.
1: Yeah, and hi again, Pete. Good to have you back. Good to see you both. So we're at the point in the legislative session where things are really heating up. They've got this June deadline. So that means many of the bills that we're tracking have already had a public hearing. We're starting to get a sense of what will happen to them, you know, positive reports from the committee. Then they go on to the House and Senate for a vote, and we're tracking that. And then how do those chambers react? Uh, And, you know, as with all of our advocates, Sarah has really been in the thick of it i think maybe more than most actually because we're really pushing we're working to push for some very significant bills to address some of the waste challenges that maine faces so we're gonna that's why sarah's here we're gonna dig into that um in a in a few minutes but before we do i just want to start with pete um giving us a quick rundown of some of the other exciting developments especially you know, from the legislature over the past weeks, that you think our listeners need to know about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me start by mentioning a couple of exciting developments that really have nothing to do with the legislature. First, it was pretty exciting yesterday to see the rollout of Ford's F 150 pickup truck EV. Um, this was a really big deal in the milestone, you know, in terms of milestones on the path to electric vehicles. Uh, because the Ford F-Series truck has been the top-selling vehicle in the U.S. for the past 44 years, and we're hoping that sales of this, uh, this truck, it's called the Lightning, take off in coming years. It's, act- it's not actually going to be sold until next spring, but this EV truck's going to have a range of 230 to 300 miles, and that's pretty exciting. So big milestone there on EV transition. Second, This is the time of year when alewives return to main rivers from the ocean and they head inland in search of fresh water for habitat and spawning. And the numbers that are returning to our rivers, we can already tell, are like already starting to shatter records. So data gathered from the Department of Marine Resources shows that 1.2 million alewives have already been counted at the Benton Falls fish lift in just the last couple of weeks. That's like huge, almost 400,000 have passed through the Milford fish lift on the Penobscot, really big deal and directly a result of the Penobscot River Restoration Project. And 80,000 have gone up through uh, the fish passage on the St. Croix River that we helped open up. That's the highest number in decades. So all really great news. Moving on, just speaking of fish and rivers, I should mention that NRCM joined with the Conservation Law Foundation and Maine Rivers in filing a notice of intent to sue Brookfield, the owner of four dams on the Kennebec River, uh, for the dam's failure to protect endangered Atlantic salmon. We've been talking about this. Uh, We had a special podcast on this issue. Uh, Brookfield's clearly violating the Endangered Species Act, and it's because its dams are killing salmon. So we believe Brookfield's four dams need to be removed between Waterville and Skowhegan, and we're gonna continue to be talking about that and pressing that case. Uh, We were disappointed by the decision last week by the first US Circuit Court of of Appeals to in effect lift the injunction that has kept Central Maine Power, CMP, from starting a 53 mile corridor through Western Maine forest lands. Uh, CMP still has a number of hurdles ahead, including a permit restriction that forbids the company from cutting trees during June and July in that stretch because of the threat uh, that it poses to federally protected northern long-eared bats. And there's also, of course, the referendum that'll be on the ballot in November when Mainers will have a chance to vote to stop the project. So in terms of the legislature, we've had some really great hearings and we'll discuss a little bit of that uh, with Sarah in a second. Um, there's also another bill that, that Sarah was involved with that would close a loophole in Maine law that allows other states to dump their construction and demolition debris into our landfills at an alarming rate. Maine should not be the dumping ground for New England's trash, and that's what we're trying to stop with this bill. There's also uh, a long hearing that happened this week uh, on the consumer-owned utility. It's a proposal for the people of Maine to run our own and run our electrical transmission system instead of CMP and Versant, it would create a so-called Pine Tree Power Company that would be uh, established for the purpose of providing safe, affordable, reliable electricity, timely and accurate billing. Wouldn't that be nice? Customer service that would be that would be good, uh, and strong support for Maine's transition to renewable energy as we address our climate goals. And we've not been seeing that from CMP. In fact, we think CMP has been failing across the board on many of the metrics that we need for the sort of grid of the future. So NRCM testified on these bills. Um, We'll be uh, continuing to work on them as they move through the legislature. And at the end of the podcast, I'll I'll talk about some of the things coming up. But let me just pass it back over to you, Colin, and we can uh, engage with Sarah about another top legislative priority.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Pete. One of the interesting things I read about that Ford, uh, F-150 electric truck is that, that I think people in Maine might be, uh, interested in given all the power there outages we get is that it, you can use it apparently as a backup generator when the power goes out
3: yeah, Ford for, says a couple it'll, days, for two or yeah, three
1: days. Yeah. For two or three days. So that's, that's super cool. And given, yeah. And if you're out in the field, you can actually use it to run your electrical, uh, tools. Yeah. Yeah. Which you can store in your frunk. <laughs> which, is a, which is a front trunk because <laughs> there's no engine there. Anyways. All right. So let's shift. I have to, uh, let's shift to Sarah for a little trash talk. Forgive the pun there. I just had to do it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've never heard that before, Sarah.
2: Never used it.
1: All right. Uh, so anyways, one of the biggest priorities for NRCM, this legislative session is to address Um, The serious challenge is a lot of our cities and towns, actually, most of our cities and towns are facing with recycling. So we've got this flood of packaging that's coming in. A lot of it can't be recycled. That causes confusion uh, for Mainers who are trying to do the right thing. And it's costing taxpayers a ton of money because towns are stuck with that. So the solution um, that Sarah and her team and NRCM are pushing and our members are pushing for is a bill that we create what's called an extended producer Responsibility for Packaging Program. Uh, That is a mouthful. So Sarah, the first thing I wanted you to do is just break it down for us and give us a quick overview of how this, uh, we call it EPR for short, how EPR for Packaging, uh, what it is and how it's gonna benefit Maine.
2: Sure, yes, I'd be happy to. Um, I love any opportunity to talk trash. It's my favorite topic besides my kids. Um, so yeah, we're working hard to pass LD 1541, is sponsored by the wonderful uh, representative Nicole Grahowski. And I'm gonna read the title because I feel like that pretty much gets to how it will benefit Maine. It's an act to support and improve municipal recycling programs and save taxpayer money. Um, at NRCM, we call this recycling reform because that's really uh, what it is. It's a system overhaul in how we even approach recycling. As Colin, you know, as, as you described right now, you know, producers of packaging, don't necessarily design their their packages with recycling in mind, we get them in our communities and our municipalities just have to deal with them. Um, a lot of these packages aren't recyclable, they end up going in the trash, um, and the ones that are recyclable, it's it sometimes costs more money to recycle than to, to dispose of waste, so it's putting our municipalities in this really difficult position. Um, with EPR extended producer responsibility for packaging it's really a special type of law that Maine is very familiar with for other types of uh, problematic waste materials, but what it does is it shifts the cost of managing uh, materials to the producers of of that in this case it's packaging. Um, And this would uh, create big changes, it would have the costs of recycling internalized. Um, in the cost of doing businesses, business for these companies and municipalities would no longer be faced with these tough decisions to either increase taxes, keep recycling programs or, or eliminate those.
1: Nice. And so this, um, you know, I think one of the big things is this is not an idea you just like picked out of the air, right? Like you just didn't brainstorm this. EPR for packaging is a proven solution. It's been in place in a lot of places. Uh, it's been in place and used in a lot of regions. Um, and jurisdictions around the world. So can you just talk a little bit about that, what we know about um, how EPR has worked in those um, in those areas and, and why that's important?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been uh, preaching the benefits of EPR for packaging for years, as uh, Pete can attest to here at NRCM. Um, so this has really been a long time coming. And the reason why is that this type of law already exists all over the world. Um, uh, the entire European Union, for instance, has uh, EPR for packaging law. Some of those programs have been in place for 30 years. Uh, five progr- uh, provinces in Canada have an EPR for packaging program that are very successful. Um, 47 uh, jurisdictions really around the world have it, Russia, China, Brazil. Um, and uh, EPR for packaging um, has not yet come to the United States And uh, we are one of 11 states now pursuing it. And um, I'm I'm pretty sure that this year will be the year that that dam will break and EPR for Packaging will will come to the United States.
1: Yes, let's do it. And so, you know, related in terms of momentum, uh, the public hearing for this bill, LD 1541 was, um, uh, was recently held. And I know like the testimony was sort of overwhelmingly in support for EPR for Packaging. Can you just tell us a little bit about the variety of voices that you heard speaking out in support of this um, of this bill?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It was a really great uh, public hearing. Uh, it lasted over five hours. There were seventy testimonies submitted in support of this bill, and it was really moving. Um, you know, there were main businesses, uh, large and small. Um, I believe that you know Allegash Brewing Company delivered one of the most compelling testimonies that I heard uh, that day. Um, We had many municipal staff, local elected officials, um, local recycling committee volunteers, solid waste professionals, state lawmakers, uh, nonprofits, uh, religious institutions, many individual taxpayers, a lot of middle and high school students, um, undergraduate and graduate school students, and University of Maine faculty. It was really um, a diverse, wonderful uh, group of people here supporting this really important policy.
1: Nice. It shows how widespread the concern is and the desire is for change here. But not surprisingly, the big corporations that are creating all this packaging are trying to protect their profits. And, you know, we're seeing um, we're seeing them, them trying to confuse things and kill uh, kill this bill. Uh, They've submitted an alternative bill that's, you know, is sort of a do nothing bill, wouldn't do anything to improve recycling. Um, what's, you know, what's one or two things you think people should know about their motives here and what they're trying to do?
2: Right. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, You know, there were, there were 22 out-of-state industry lobbyists against um, our uh, EPR for Packaging bill, and they were there to support their own EPR for Packaging bill. Um, I think the main takeaway here is um, that bill was, uh, it was put in to distract from from our, our bill, um, these, these industry uh, lobbyists are only pushing for uh, their style of EPR in states where they think that um, real EPR is going to pass. But in the off chance that they think that their proposal um, has any traction, um, it's when you read the language, it's what it really is, is a, a license to continue business as usual or worse. Um, they would, they they, don't like the LD fifteen forty one style of EPR because it actually requires change on their behalf.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I that's the thing I really love about EPR for packaging is it's seeking that sort of transformational change and it's focusing on those corporations that, um, you know, by the way, for too long have tried to convince consumers that they're the root of the problem, uh, and just trying to, um, yeah, we also in. We also know that these corporations are like, you know, pushing to ramp up plastic pollution right now. There's no incentive for them to create better packaging. So I I think that I really am excited about that promise. And to me, that's also sort of like tangibly what this is all about. Right. You have all this. Anybody who buys stuff you've got, you know, often it comes in poorly designed packaging, can't be recycled. And as you've said, and as we've talked about, that costs our town's money. I'm curious if you have a favorite example of this type of like bad packaging that we're getting stuck with here in Maine that's causing, causing the problems.
2: There is one that comes to mind immediately, and that is, um, it's the little pouches, the little flexible pouches. And it's probably because as a mom, I, I tend to find that my kids always want the applesauces or whatever in the little tiny pouches. And those, um, those are not recyclable. Um, anywhere. So um, that's really uh, a bother to me. And I think another one is just the unnecessary packaging you get. Say if you order something online and it comes in, a, in its own bag, in its own box, in another box with, you know, sealed p- pouches of air around it. And oftentimes that's not even needed. Um, this is the type of law that would hopefully, you know, if there's a teeny cost for each of those that add up, hopefully the, the producers of this packaging will say, oh, maybe I don't really need all this extra stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'll probably find that they'll save some money too
1: yeah i mean as you know we've got twins so i can't even begin to tell you how many diapers we order and um and young twins and uh the one of the biggest examples for me is you know we we either get the box of diapers shipped to us itself with the label on it which includes basically no packaging or sometimes we get it shipped like if it's coming to us i order it in bulk because i gotta and um And it comes like, like you said, packed in a bigger box with a bunch of plastic around it and like totally Mm -hmm. unnecessary, right? And I think that's a great example of how we need to incentivize these big companies to just, um, um, uh, to make things more efficient, you know? Um, Well, yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. Um, And if you wanna learn more about EPR for Packaging and help us pass LD1541, Um, Visit recyclingreform.org to get involved today. There's a link to a petition we've got, which will sort of link you into our action alerts. And as we said, you know, the industry is really ramping up their opposition to the bill. So we're going to, as we always do, rely on the voices of Maine people to get this thing through. So definitely visit recyclingreform.org. And thanks again, Sarah. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, before we go, Pete, you know, as we do every time, can you just give us that quick overview of some of the major issues, bills, et cetera, that we're, we're going to be paying attention to here at NRCM in the coming weeks?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we're moving into crunch time at the, at the legislature. Uh, they did meet this week uh, at the Augusta Civic Center for what likely will be the last time they meet at the Civic Center. They're scheduled to return for in-person sessions at the state capitol start, starting on June 2nd for the first time in more than a year. And they've already scheduled 10 days of sessions that are gonna be leading up to June 16th when they hope to adjourn. I think that'll be a, a difficult deadline to meet, uh, but they are trying to push through a huge volume of work over the next month. So late June is when they'll probably adjourn. Uh, so there's a ton of committee votes and then a lot of action on the, on the uh, House and Senate floors. The EPR for packaging bill will go to a work session on May 24th. Um, so that'll be important, really important, to get that bill out of committee and heading to the House and Senate. And then there's a bunch of bills that we really care about on the you know, the, the, pack, you know, the, the loophole in Maine's waste law that I mentioned. There's a solar bill that's moving forward. There's a you know, number of bills dealing with the Climate Action Plan. But I'm particularly focusing on the Appropriations Committee because they're managing a three big spending bills that uh, have a number of initiatives in it that we really care about. Uh, we focused in last week's podcast on the, uh, the governor's plan for the COVID stimulus money. That's $1.13 billion, and that's going to move through the legislature, and we want to get uh, approval of that. That includes a bunch of exciting investments, including $50 million for state park infrastructure, $50 million for energy efficiency, a bunch more. The governor also announced a, a bond package, which includes $40 million over four years for the land for Main's future program, we really want that to pass and go out to the voters in November. And then there's a hearing, hearings this week that we testified in support of of the governor's so-called change package. And these are changes to the budget bill and it includes some really important increases in staff and some new initiatives at the Maine Department of Environmental Protection and some other natural resource agencies. Also the governor's energy office, also the office of policy innovation in the future. And uh, some of those uh, proposals directly come from the Climate Action Plan, and they're going to be really important to help move the the needle forward on a number of initiatives dealing uh, with helping municipalities, uh, addressing um, uh, pollution sources, and, uh, and a bunch of other things dealing with carbon sequestration of our forests. And so lots of stuff happening at the Preparations Committee, and then the big crunch will happen between June 2nd and the end of of uh, June, when there'll be literally hundreds of votes that we'll be paying attention to. I'll stop right there and till, till we get back together.
1: Yikes. I, I don't even know how you guys do it. It's insane. Um,
3: but you I also, that one, actually, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'll also put in a little plug and remind people that we've got our legislative bill tracking web page on the website. Um, that's off the programs uh, menu item, and that is where we try to keep people updated on the progress of all of these bills. Um, uh, so be sure to check that out. Um, so, anyways, that's the latest from Maine's environmental news from NRCM. And um, you know, if you like what you heard today, please share uh, our podcast with your friends and family. Encourage them to subscribe uh, so they they can be notified and get that episode when we when we drop it every two weeks. So. Until next time, uh, I hope you're able to get outside, enjoy this wonderful summer-like weather. Thanks again, Pete, for joining us, and thanks to our special guest Sarah for joining us. Um, and you, uh, it was great. Yeah, let's go yeah, past EPR.
2: Yes, let's
0: go. <laughs> All <Thank> right, you. <laughs> see you guys. Thank you for listening to Main Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at NRCM Environment. Until next time, thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.